to a new episode of FIDE, the Foundation for Intentional Decisions. And today, in today's episode, we are going to talk about principles. My name is Jens Rinnelt, uh, with me in the studio, as always, Stella Nordahl. And in today's ex exploration, uh, as I said, we're going to explore principles. And I want to start actually with an example that I um thinking of and for example i played basketball quite a long time and every new season when, when a new team members come the, the team dynamics change uh, there's always like a almost a fight about which who is playing with which number so uh s number seven is uh, one of my favorite numbers that i also used to play with uh, which is also the number of today's episode um i was always trying to get this number in every new season. And my question to you, Stellan, is uh, also welcoming you with this to the show. Mm -hmm. Do you think, what do you think of this kind of principle to guide my decision-making? What do I think about uh, <laughs> searching for the seven in, in the next upcoming yeah, no, also... setup of the team, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think this is uh, quite human. Uh, I mean, is it a principle? I don't know. Is it a r rule? Is it even a law? Or did you make it your truth? I don't know. Hmm. What do you say? I think there's some kind of strange... Yeah, maybe you, you connected with an experience, like, oh, one season, the first se season I had this number, I was playing really well, you know, I, I did well on the team, I mm -hmm. scored maybe many points. So you kind of projected mm. in, into you the next comfortable year. with the number seven on your, on yeah. your shirt mm. and in some way there there's a lot of yeah you connected in some way i guess to luck to you know mm. i was lucky in that season or you know like you said i ex mm. i felt well performing well mm. and uh, yeah that's interesting is it a principle or is it a habit i mean we are habitual as as uh, uh, not only as, as the human race, maybe the whole universe is habitual. Um, it could be seen as habitual, I guess. And if that's the case, I think you're, you were just creating the habit. Um, I mean, when, when will that choice become a habit? That's interesting in itself, of course. So, 
if you just choose it once, you will probably not call it a habit. If you do it twice, it's on the start on a habit. And, and as soon as we, you make that decision over and over again, it becomes habitual. And what I'm looking for here is that some of the choices we do are not uh, consciously made. We are not even aware that we choose. Uh, we probably, most of the day, go through life as repeating ourselves, repeating thoughts we already have, and probably you felt comfortable with number seven, and now you may be connected to luck, but maybe it was just comfortable, and, and it felt like something you were resembling, and you could, um, I don't know, relate to? I, I, yes, yes, my thoughts, as if you <laughs> ask for my thoughts here, uh, that's a probably um, first kind of thoughts I would have, but it could also be a principle, it could be a guiding uh, principle to your life, I, I guess. Um, I always choose number seven before eight, five, three, or, or two, or whatever digit. It, I mean, hmm. it depends on how you look at it, of course. Yeah, and and I think that's what I wanted to get at is like an invitation for this episode, also to reflect a little bit about what are the principles that guide our own decision making. How do we organize organizations according to to what principles? Um, how do we organize societies? What what principles can we see there? Mm -hmm. And what else is your intention for for today's episode? Yeah, um, I have a clear intention here. Is uh, that I guess that the ones of you who have uh, been with us for um, for a while, maybe you have uh, gone through the history of uh, choice or history of uh, ideas. Maybe you've listened to uh, the ideas on, on intentional decision model and, and uh, tree metaphor and stuff like that. Maybe it could be seen as very theoretical, uh, even if we have a lot of uh, practical experiences coming into the, to the room and into the dialogue and also into the program. Uh, we always, uh, you and I, I guess, maybe not even try to relate. We want to relate to practical events. But this is probably the first topic where we really get into practical stuff because principles is connected to something practical I guess it can't be any longer theoretical or ideas it has to be practical useful creating experiences so that's my intent of today to take whatever it has been um, so far into a practical day-to-day um, -day and also habitual and paradigmal or whatever it's called when you create paradigms um, set up. That's, that's what I would like to do today. That's my intent. Mm. What do you say? Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of how to connect it to, to uh, the last episodes. And maybe we can start with the intentional decision model mm -hmm. where we spoke about uh, different dimensions. Uh, empathy before sympathy or over sympathy, uh, proactivity uh, over reactivity, and engagement over attendance. Mm. So these are the three dimensions in the intentional decision model. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Can you tell us a little bit about where these dimensions mm. come from because you have come up with this model you have come up with this kind of theory uh, obviously building up on on other theories that are out there uh, 
mm. bringing together yeah. thought systems. Uh, and again, I want to be very practical here. So, uh, you, those of you who listened to the first episode on on, on this, I guess, were <coughs> already um, a little bit familiar with this. But the whole intentional decision model was based on practical um, experiences. So the experiences that I had, which were so real, I couldn't say anything about them more than they were reality. They were so real that they were my reality. They didn't fit into the worldview that I had been taught. So I was then in a choice to either choose the, the map, the, the worldview that I've been taught, or the reality I couldn't understand that more than being real. So I was, okay, I throw away the map and I go for reality. So the first thing that happened then was that I trusted my, my experiences. They were for me more real than the description of them, which is quite easy to understand when, when you talk about it now. Uh, but for most people, uh, I guess that, and it was also for me up until that moment, the map was the truth. And then I realized that it was just a map. On the other hand, maps was what I was good at. That was what I've been doing for, uh, yeah, that I've been studying and that I went to university with and so on. So I was really good in, in, in analyzing and putting things together. We can call it making maps out of the world. So I, I wanted a map because that was what I was craving more or less. I didn't want, I didn't need it to explain how things worked but it had to be presenting things as possible so i needed a map and my experiences i had talked to me in terms of not only what was lacking that's one way to, to put it but also what was present i had um, experiences that were present and needed a description so first of all uh, I was feeling things. I, I was uh, like having, I don't know what the words could be, but mental ideas or experiences or um, you can call them um, spiritual or whatever. They were at least not physical in terms of measuring. So it, I had experiences that weren't measurable. And the word for me to, to reach them was empathy. Empathy was something that you could see as both uh, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, which means um, yeah, having an idea or a fantasy about someone else. And that someone else could be yourself, of course, in a previous version of, your, of yourself or in a, in a future version of yourself or in anyone's shoes, in any in any conscious agent in the universe, more or less. And then the second part of empathy was to, to be able to feel it, more like a, a dream, a lucid dream. Uh, it was so real when, when, I, when, I, when I was experiencing uh, this stuff that empathy was the best word I could find to explain, not maybe explain, but to describe in some way uh, what I experienced. And I realized that what I've been taught was something else. It was feeling sorry for, uh, putting yourself into a victim mode or someone else into a victim mode, putting your finger on someone saying, that is that person's fault. 
what I did, what you don't realize then, that is three fingers pointing on self. Uh, so when you point like this on someone, you point on with, with your index finger. You, po you point three fingers on yourself. Uh, and self-blame is probably the the worst case of it. <laughs> even if it's not good to blame someone else, uh, it's even worse to blame yourself because then self-blaming puts you into an extreme victim mode, and you more or less can't get out of it. So that was some kind of a dimension. I wouldn't say opposition, because opposition is what we have been taught. Something is an aligner model, and some, uh, the one thing it's in opposition to the other. That was not the case here. It was more or less something before the other. So it was also always uh, a possibility to take another step. So if you were on a place or in, in a mood or in a state, you could always take one more step in, in the terms of, or in the direction of empathy, or in the other direction of sympathy. So it was more or less from, I mean, you could, you could drag it out to an infinite long uh, line, going to infinity uh, and beyond, <laughs> and, uh, and so on. So that was the idea behind empathy. It was more or less created out of experience. Hmm. And and now I want to pause here for a moment because what you're saying is I think super interesting and and my rational mind wants to understand like okay what's the you know underlying theory like how do you connect it back to to previously existing theories like you know that's where's that's, the path yeah, yeah. dependency hmm. but I what you he actually saying is that this was more created of course informed by the knowledge that you have I hmm. I assume but more from like how did I experience the situation and how mm. would I, you know, find the right words to describe what I'm experiencing? Mm. And hypothetical question, you can do that? You basically yeah, already... Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, to be fully honest, uh, the models or whatever I, it was that I've been taught weren't talking about this at all. So I couldn't relate to... I, I was actually lacking descriptions of this. I was in a, in a state of uh, nowhere-ness. Uh, it was either the map or the re uh, the reality again. Uh, and when I made that choice, uh, I would say I, I more or less, when I throw away the map, I was in like a white field and it wasn't described. It wasn't present on the map. And, and the thing was that that's how I experienced it. But the, the thing is, was also that the map, the previous map, the, the map that I've been taught, the worldview that I've been taught, it actually told me that the experiences that I had that were the biggest experience in my life, uh, in, in, in short, it was my daughter's birth, my daughter's death, and then my son's birth, and experiences connected to that in a, in a two-year uh, realm or two-year period of, of uh, time. Um, those were the biggest experiences I had in my life and the system I've been brought up with told me that this doesn't exist. It wasn't like a white page on the, on the uh, white spot the end on, on the, the map. The, is here. You reach it the was, end of it the was, map. Uh, it was not on the map. It didn't exist. End of, end of story. Mm. And I didn't buy into that. Um, I mean, could it be that the biggest experiences in, in my life, the biggest events, didn't exist. No. We talked in previous episode about fundamental assumption and, and how mm. experiences like this these make us questioning actually the worldviews that we have been brought up 
uh, with so for the listeners and viewers if you're interested in that mm. there's more e exploration mm. in that mm. regard um, but I want to come back to the dimensions of the ID model because mm. there are two other yeah yeah uh, just to elaborate a little bit more on on, uh, on empathy because uh, this was now 13 years ago now it's 2020 that was back in 2006 7 and uh, and eight and when I came out to I, I realized that very as I had been brought up with the, the other system I, I realized that this applies a lot into leadership it applies to business development and organization development so that was the the topics that interested me already on beforehand uh, I'm uh, I'm an officer in the in Swedish army so I, I've been brought up with leadership um, as something that is important in organizations so I realized that this ha um, this applies to but also on, on all other topics it applies to everything so uh, um, what I'm thinking of here was that empathy wasn't legitimate uh, at that point. You couldn't, I mean, people couldn't imagine how empathy could apply on any other level than on a personal level and not further than feeling sorry for. So that was the end of, of empathy, feeling sorry for someone else. End. And it's interesting mm. that if you listen a little bit to the way we talk about for example right now the corona situation a lot of times i hear the word solidarity in it you know so don't stay at home or you know don't go out for your own sake but do it out of solidarity for somebody else so that mm -hmm. is basically empathy um, yeah, it's a previous version i guess uh, i think solidarity uh, the problem with that word today uh, in at least the western world is that it's connected to ideologies um, and I mean you could use solidarity I don't have any problem with it um, but I guess that when you talk about solidarity you also get get into uh, history of ideologies uh, and that's that could be a problem but it doesn't have to be a problem mm. but that is more or less uh, the effect of, of empathy uh, you realize that you're not alone and, and uh, you're co-dependent um, and uh, and uh, the world isn't always um, turning around yourself so um, yeah. yeah and that that's what i wanted to point out that these kind of maybe for some people more softer values or softer approaches mm. uh, so, soft i mean there's yeah. a problem with that language as, as well yeah. in the ideology yeah yeah <laughs> but but yeah but we, we can stay for that for a while because that's how it was actually approached when when i when i came out uh, with empathy working with leadership and, and working with uh, uh, organization development this is often how it was described it was something softer for me it's not soft at all it's very down to earth and soft is the hard world's description of what what it doesn't understand so i realized that i need something else to be able to reach the physical persons the physical organization those who value measurement before everything or maybe don't even see that there is something else than what you can measure so that was actually when when uh, proactivity came in, into the um, <laughs> into the picture uh, for me um, it was the same as empathy and this is also interesting we, sh we, sh we should check this after a while when we have presented those three dimensions because proactivity was Again, if, if empathy ended at um, a point where um, you 
feel sorry for someone. Uh, proactivity ended by saying being a step ahead. Mm. And that is, of course, true. But it could be so much more than just being one step ahead. And um, I realized that proactivity was something that was a, more or less a buzzword within, uh, within organizational development. So I needed, I needed a way to, to, to go into organizations that were more physical. But the good thing about proactivity, choosing that, that description, was also that you got some kind of a time, um, time dimension out of, out of the word. It said something about time that didn't exist really that much in empathy. Even if I believe it's the same thing again, I would say um, there was introduced at least a, a, a easier way to understand uh, connection to time. Yeah, I can understand why a business leader out of this perspective would say, would relate more to proactivity of like, yeah, I guess that's the concept of being the leader. You know, I take the first step and then I have a lot of followers. Mm. I take my business, uh, have the first mover advantage mm. uh, yeah, based on, on all the competition assumptions. Um, but I think I think I understand why someone from a business perspective would relate to that dimension. Mm. And uh, it was um, legitimate. Uh, so not only they could relate to it, it was also something part of a strategy. We're going to be proactive. Um, yeah, taking action. That was proactive. Uh, so the ac action in inactive was was important, I guess. So that, then we had this second then dimension: proactivity, yeah. reactivity, and then the third dimension was about. Again, uh, I saw everything in empathy. So for me, that dimension could be <laughs> enough. But the interesting thing here was that uh, engagement was the third dimension. And that was an, a dimension that was needed to be able to see more people than yourself or a, a bigger context. It, it didn't have to be people. It could be organizations. It could be societies. It could be any living organism. And it could also be something where you engaged in. So engagement was very important in this, uh, in this model then. And what is the non-active uh, and uh, sim sympathy version of, of engagement? It's just being physical present. Mm. And what that's that? Attendance. You go somewhere, you are there physically, but you're not engaged. You're not mentally. You only show up, for instance, on work, or you just maybe don't even show up. I don't know. You're, you sit there. With your physical body and uh, there was a story i don't I, I believe this is just an urban legend but a story about the person who worked for like 30 years in, in a in an organization and when uh, when this person had his pension uh, that was uh, the first time that he went to work <laughs> saying i've been hired here for 30 years <laughs> i guess a lot of people can can relate to uh, i don't know dragging themselves to work without uh, finding any any meaning in it uh, i'm uh, we had before heard a podcast uh, thomas bjorkman where he speaks about the the meaning crisis that we're having 
I think that relates very much to, yeah, I'm present, physically present at work. I'm doing a job. I work from nine to five. I do everything according to the rules and what is expected, but I don't do anything more. And even though that's the perfect description of a worker, isn't it strange that it also sounds very weird or like, you know, something is not right with that description mm. because mm. it's like, yeah, you do everything according to, to all the mm. standards and, and processes we have set up and, and still it, it doesn't satisfy it when I say it. No, and, and it's probably on so many levels. For instance, when we're talking about meaning, it's something that it could have a deeper meaning. It could have be a, a bigger uh, meaning or a, a higher meaning or whatever it is, but it could also be um, playfulness. I mean, if you're doing everything by the book and you can't go outside any rules, what will then happen? It gets dull. You get tired of it. You get bored. You, you perform something that you don't believe in. You lose your faith in it. Uh, and there is, yeah, you just have to connect stuff in, in, a, in an order, uh, more or less a description. First this, then that, then this, then that again. And then you add a little bit stress on that and then you got the life puzzle. <laughs> and, and you're trying to find all those uh, pieces of puzzle. Uh, there is, and you know how it is if you have a big one, you always end up with a lacking some of the pieces and, and and there is a life puzzle and and you have to fit it in and there is exactly 500 pieces of whatever it is even if you just can find 499 because the cat ate one i don't know or whatever it did with it but is that life what if we have another description of life if we use like instead of the metaphor puzzle let's say we have the metaphor lego do you know what lego is Three-dimensional puzzle. Yeah, three-dimensional <laughs> puzzle. That's interesting, uh, but it's not a puzzle. It's three-dimensional, but it's not a puzzle. It doesn't have a certain set of of pieces. You can have any amount of pieces. You can put them in any order. Do you know what the word Lego is short for? It's Danish. It's called leg god. So it means uh, play good, have fun. Lego. Surprise! What I'm learning. Hmm? But I mean, yeah, it, because there's no, of course you get the description, you know, of like the, how, how it could like a specific model that you buy, because there's always some. Yeah, but that is, that is much later uh, invention. <laughs> that is how, how you package it. This is how I played it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I played it. Okay. So, but you, then you take everything apart mm -hmm. and, and you can build whatever you basically want to. And, yeah. you know, it's just up to your own imagination. Yeah. And you put them in, in any order. You don't have to have first this, then that. You can have first that, then that again, and then add this, and then whatever. <laughs> you can have any, any pieces and any colors and any... And it doesn't say that it doesn't fit. Oh. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting way of, of uh, talking about three dimensions. And um, I like that. Uh, and so, so then we have those three dimensions of, of the intentional decision model. We have empathy over sympathy, proactivity before reactivity, and engagement over attendance. Okay, So we have those three dimensions. And the interesting thing is that you can always take one more step in the same direction. Either you can go into the victim mode or into the creator mode. So depending on, on the direction, uh, you have some kind of a 
giving life or taking more life. I don't know. But the, if we go to the far side of, of sympathy, reactivity and attendance, you probably did. Yeah. Mm. Meaninglessness over time. You don't have any any life left in yourself and um, probably will end by death. This is a accurate as description of my work experience. First work experience. <laughs> no. Physically present, yeah. no meaning. <laughs> okay, sorry. And, uh, I, I didn't mean to... to no to... sympathy. No, but I mean, it just... Uh, yeah relates to what you're describing so if you if you go to the victim mode side you know the farther you go you will probably end with mm. no meaning and either uh, you're dying mm. out of whatever reason or you feel like you you rather or be dead, dead. Mm. yeah and um, if you go into the other direction of uh, one, let's go there yeah one one step of more empathy one step of more proactivity and one step of more engagement there is always one more step you can go it's uh, it's in in a, in a creator direction it's in direction of creator mode and um, you feel more and more alive and you also realize that when i do choices because it's connected to choice here so you can choose either or either the one direction or the other direction and it's always a direction and hand on your heart we take those direction, uh, the decisions every day in both directions. So the question then will be, how can I create habits that take me in the, in the direction of, of creator mode? How can I be more and more alive? How can I create life-affirming habits? And by using those three dimensions, there is something happening. First of all, if you come from a very physical description, a worldview as the previous one I, I told you about that I was taught, you can't really use empathy you can't really use engagement you can only use proactivity i can be a little bit more proactive i don't know how but <laughs> it can be a step ahead i plan for something i have a plan first this then that <laughs> again and then um and then we uh, at some point realize that we look up and see that there are other people around us or other contexts that, that we could could relate to and then then we have the next dimension lit up the engagement and then we can engage more and more and when we engage i realize that i need another perspective from another angle that is when empathy lights up and then we have all of the three dimensions present and the reason to why they're called dimensions is that they're perpendicular to each other they are like 90 degrees to each other up until the point that they are all three present and they are all three three of them exist in, 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 in the whole dimension. Then they start to coupling. That's an interesting phenomenon. That's a very interesting phenomenon. So I would say in the other far end, where life is like all embracing us, at that point, empathy equals proactivity equals engagement, which is very beautiful. Very beautiful. I, I would say Conscious United. Hmm. That brings for me up the question, are there other dimensions that we that we could talk about in, in this context? 
mm. have you have you come across some have you had experiences that mm. that couldn't be described by the dimensions that you used uh, so far um, i'm thinking here because i i we really looked for this uh, that was one of the topics for a couple of years uh, when when we were like four or five people working with this model we were like okay can we find more uh, dimensions that are re uh, relevant that are all not already present can we also take away some of them and can we find other words um, but we, we didn't manage to find more uh, dimensions but that doesn't say that there aren't more dimensions uh, there are probably more dimensions we have still not yet found them um you can put in love uh, but that that is already present hmm. and fear it's already present it's more a description of, of what is happening in in some of the states or some of the where you find yourself in a certain state in the in the model uh, i've come to this point or i move in this direction um, is it fear based or love based i mean again that's the decision you you make uh, do you choose love or do you choose fear? So it's more or less a, a description of of uh, the directions than it's another di dimension of the direct directions. Hmm. I mean, you, you also already mentioned that choice is a fundamental assumption of, of the ID model in, in general. So choice is, is also a huge part of hmm. choosing in which direction I want to take these dimensions. Um, and what I'm thinking of is is trust. However, I'm also mm. thinking of that probably it is already coming from if you go in, in the direction of uh, yeah, as a life affirming direction. Mm. Trust is then just trust another is description natural... again. Yeah, trust is another description. And if you go in the other direction of trust, you get some kind of a, um, uh, what do you call it when you don't believe in it? It's like... Uh, um, you need more control, I guess. No, it's even more. It's like doubt. Mm. So doubt kills trust, and trust bridges doubt. Mm -hmm. And that is very interesting when when we talk about the uncertainty of 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 uh, of life. If you put in trust, then then it's there is so possibilities. It's not that uncertain anymore. No, it's Suddenly. not that uncertain anymore. It's more like, uh, oh, uh, I'm almost eager to find out what will happen. <laughs> uh, I'm very curious uh, what will now happen. So, and if you go in in terms of doubt, I mean, is this really good for us? Uh, what what happens if I make the wrong choice? Uh, what if? What if? And what if? And why? Why? And why? So it it, it loses meaning every time you ask why. It's more or less that you don't understand the meaning behind it, and that's okay on, on some some level to not understand but do you really have to uh, question it once more if, if something happens to you and you don't understand the reason behind it is it then relevant to ask why and get the same answer once once again well if you put it like this probably not no probably not so it it, it actually affirms what you already have so you get more of it so whatever choice you do opens up for more choices in that direction. So if you choose doubt, which is a choice also, then it will create more doubt. And if you choose trust, it will create more trust.
how it works, I don't know. I, I will be eager to find out, but I don't have to. I, 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 I have trust in, in trust, so to speak. Hmm. And I think that's also interesting because it, it connects a little bit back to this kind of path dependency. Because if you take a very mind-driven perspective, very rational perspective, I, I think you will also understand that the mind seeks things that it knows already so it connects only things that it knows of and then that is where you say like we we need to basically override this habitual you know projection mm -hmm. hab habitual uh, way forward mm -hmm. and then be open and and look on if i imagine it as at the path that is created go, the mind searches the path so to say mm -hmm. then we maybe we need to also uh, pause on, on the side and then be mm. curious like oh what is in this direction mm. what's in the other direction yeah. and what are opportunities are present there there is a beautiful uh, little analogy or what you can whatever you say uh, imagine the time when we were born and imagine a timeline a timeline where you have experiences you uh, see new things you uh, learn new stuff and time goes and you have experiences and so on and then you find yourself on in this liner model at the point that you are now and you look back and you say this is i okay so that's one way to look at the world yeah. we can call it the limited person this person stands now there looking back and walking with I mean, in the eyes of, of, of uh, backwards and, and moving forwards with the back in front. So you're actually moving yourself in, in, in the direction of to the future, looking backwards, like driving and <laughs> looking in the back mirror. Yeah, you, mm -hmm. you only see choices that are available to you based on the identity you put yourself into, basically. Yeah, and, and mathematically, that is called extrapolation. So you have two dots and a th third dot and everything goes on into a line so you have more or less the equation of this line so you everything that will happen is uh, uh, an ex um, extrapolation of, of the of the direction you already had so you can only experience things in that direction and if you remember when we talked about earlier about the, the continuum concept in a previous program I don't know which one uh, it's a little bit like that. You more or less attract the experiences and um, um, yeah, experiences that relates to or, or connects to the worldview that you've been taught already. Hmm. And and this is what I said in the beginning because if you then choose different principles, mm. you can choose a different direction. Yeah, you... And, and you can also have another way of describing it. So imagine again, you're being born. But lives unfold not like in a liner model. It's like in a in a spherical. You can you can imagine it like like an onion. And for every layer on that onion, you still embrace what has already been, but the direction is outwards. So this is the unlimited person. Everything that have happened to you have happened to you. I mean, those are experiences that you possess, but it's not a limitation on where you want to go. So every point that this expansion embraces the previous versions of yourself, but it's not limiting you. Mm. So it's not an extrapolation any longer. 
it's more or less an imagination. What you can I what I can imagine I can perceive. And I think that connects very uh, uh, well and, and receive, yeah. to to what you said, like some of the experiences where besides the path that you have been taught, mm -hmm. and then you can decide like why is this path not on the map? So mm -hmm. do I need to create a new map? Mm -hmm. Or uh, do I get rid of the experience and, and just follow the path and mm -hmm. see where that is leading? And this is where it gets very practical. Because in this unlimited way of looking at life, every experience is valid. Everything you experience is a potential of learning. And all learnings are embraced by by this unfolding and at the same time embraceful and, and gratefulness more or less that's that's what you get as a result more or less of, of looking at life as uh, expanding instead of uh, yeah I don't know what it's called just one step in the same direction hmm. no absolutely I mean I'm, I'm curious about what is whatever next step is there and then even if I yeah I'm, I'm just curious And I'm also at the same time grateful for every step I've taken and mm. for every experience that will come into my life because it will basically provide me new insights, mm. new experiences and, and new learnings, as I said, to, to also decide again in mm. that mm. moment, where do I want to go from here? Yeah. And this is, I think, super important because it, it uh, how do I say it? It is, if you internalize this belief or this worldview, It switches really from uh, I need to reach a goal. There's an end goal in life mm -hmm. to, to, to reach and, and whatever that is. Or life is the journey itself. Yeah, and maybe and. It could be. And this is the very interesting thing in this. Uh, again, uh, the, the onion embraces all the previous versions. So at some point, it's uh, the same as the liner model. I mean... Um, every choice is actually that I've made actually defines myself in this very present moment that I'm in. And with the onion, <laughs> uh, from now on forward, I can make any new choice. So at some point, and I think we have this up in some previous uh, episode also, that at, at one description is that I am all the choices that I've made up until this point but I'm never further away from a new choice. A thought away, that's all. Or a, a decision. Away. Mm. Yeah. A decision. Exactly. And, and the picture that emerges and, and connects to what you said before for me is when you enter an area that, that appears to be white, like a, an un, uh, untouched uh, environment, it reminds me a lot of about complexity theory of how do I navigate myself in in an uncertain, ever-changing environment, basically. Mm. Um, and here we have interesting principles as well. Yes, and this is an interesting uh, connection that you mentioned here, and that is uh, within the theory of complexity. Uh, one way to, to navigate, as they call it in, in complexity theory, uh, is to use heuristical principles, that is, simple principles. So instead of simplifying the system by reducing it, as we've been taught for the previous map, we can instead... come up with like two rigid rules and then yeah. processes. Mm -hmm. uh, we instead 
uh, keep the complexity and maybe even embrace the complexity to get the power of the complexity because there is where where the the power of the system lies in the complexity the connections and the and the causalities and so on so we keep the complexity and instead of reducing it for, to be a simple system we use simple theoretical principles and this is the nice connection to I would say intentional decisions model as you now have three main dimensions or three dimensions that you can say is more or less the main principles that you can use as guidance so they're not rules it doesn't say it applies in every case but probably you will find more how can I say it you will find more possibilities by using empathy over sympathy, proactivity over reactivity and engagement before attendance. That means that when you need possibilities, they are more or less created by the three dimensions or principles. And in the next step, when you're supposed to choose, <laughs> it forms an ethical framework, which is something I believe is extremely important today in the Western world, as we have more or less abandoned the ethical framework that we previously had. I wouldn't say right or wrong, but when we throw away uh, the, the Christian system, the Christianity uh, was, at least in Sweden, was uh, formerly a, a state church. Uh, now it's not. Um, again, right or wrong, it's not about that. But we had an ethical framework giving us an idea or uh, we can call it the principle but, but ideas on how we should act in different parts of life and interestingly they were written in principle form as well yeah the 10 uh, mm. command, commandments i'm not baptized mm. so i mm. i can't talk about any of this mm. so the idea of principles is it's not unique in itself the interesting thing here is the connection to the dimensions in the item model and how you can use empathy over sympathy and, and so on and then you have some kind of main principles that you can have creating your guiding principles. And guiding principles is a way of not only organizing, but also defining. Say again, what, what's the difference between guiding principles and organizing principles? Organizing principles is maybe one step lower. I don't know, but... If we start with the dimensions, it's more or less theoretical framework. Even if it was not created like a theoretical framework, it was again created by, by experience and insights. And then you come into the world of theory of complexity. Then we have this idea and, and the theory of theoretical principles. We see that they could be those you could use those dimensions and and if you use those dimensions what we know about uh, about them is that we have again in the first step more possibilities in the second step when we're going to choose we have that ethical framework and in the third step when we want to get the effect of the choice we can use the same three principles uh, or dimensions again so that's the main principles or guiding principles it's a way of describing how you could live life or how you could um, relate to others or to yourself and so on so and you can of course um, by the help of those main principles find some guiding principles for your context whatever that context is organization group society whatever it is 
And then if you take it one step down too, I mean, how can I do this in my day-to-day -day life? How, what does this description mean when I say in the context of, of work experience, in the context of uh, customer relation or in the context of um, putting things out on the market or in the context of creating stuff or innovate or whatever context, then you have the organizing principles. So they are more contextual. That is, that means that it goes even into a more practical uh, way of, of uh, working. Mm. So I, I wouldn't say difference. It's more or less various descriptions. Yeah, still there are different functions, maybe. Yeah, yeah. For, approaches for, for yeah for these different principles, and and what I find super interesting is is what you say is you get the effect of these principles and dimensions when you choose them. And then what does that mean? You know, let's mm. explore that for a moment. It basically means that all the methods that we are using, uh, they are or should be based on, 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 they are, let's put it, let's start here. They are based on certain principles. Yeah. If we can mm. identify which principles they are based on, we can also choose which other ones are maybe beneficial for the context definitely, again. Definitely, we are in. definitely. Yeah, and, and one practical way of working that I've been using when I've been working with, for instance, organizational development or business development is that we don't have to invent new ways of working. We can go for the ones we already have and then we can sort them. So what we can do is that we look at the, the as you said, the principles we maybe have already without knowing it. Uh, at least we have processes. <laughs> We have tools, we have concepts, and in which direction does, does those uh, principles or uh, practical processes or, or tools or concepts take us? Do they take us in, victim, in the direction of victim mode or in the direction of creator mode? So you can use the three dimensions then, empathy, proactivity, and engagement, to see, okay, is it in this direction or is it an oops? No, it's in sympathy reactivity and tendency direction and it could also be that you have concepts that are mixed up by stuff or, or processes that have both directions and, and they're mixed up and what happens if you have plus and a minus it gets down to zero so you get no effect at all of it uh, so just by taking away those who are limiting you uh, for instance if we have um, let's say we we have an organization that wants to be agile agile means that First you can do one thing and then you can do another and then you can do the first thing again. So you can easily move through uh, different contexts or different situations and you can adopt easily. Hmm? So that is not exactly, but basically an, an agile uh, yeah, You're being setup. very responsive or fluid yeah. as an entity of... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in this organization, say, that we want to have this agile uh, attitude... Hmm? What if we have a system, for instance, the, the system for reporting, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, when you go for trips? Um, travel travel uh, costs, uh, costs and, and expenses and stuff related. like that. Okay, travel system that you use internally to, to keep track of, of travel and, and expenses and, and costs for that. What if this system gives... Uh, um, a feeling of having a big pull in your in your stomach. What do you call it? A big something heavy in your stomach. 
every time you open this system, whew, you really have to take a deep breath. Does that make people eager to do first this uh, over here and this uh, and then something else over there and then uh, the first thing again? No, it doesn't because then you have to open this system uh, two or three times. So instead you, you maybe not consciously, maybe more subconsciously, you avoid the risk of opening this system by not being agile. So instead of traveling to that customer, doing that or fixing that over there or whatever it could be, being agile, it doesn't breathe agile at all. And then again, is it the rational mind that rules or is it the subconscious mind that rules? I would say always subconscious mind beats the rational mind. And then comes your boss and says, like, why don't you go to this specific uh, customer? Yeah, if, but, if, if, if it's even uh, visible. Hmm. Maybe it's not visible. But I mean, what you're basically saying is that if you can identify these subconscious processes that happen in every team dynamic in every organization and identify them and say, are they in a life-affirming direction? And if they're not, maybe we should talk about it and, and make... Because that dialogue alone will bring them up to the surface mm. and will also essentially improve the quality of the work the organization is doing, the yeah, team is yeah. doing, because they are choosing principles or they're choosing methods and processes based on principles mm. that are in a direction. I can have another example there. This is an organization, a quite small company. Uh, 30 people something uh, they grown from uh, at this point where, when when I met them the first time they uh, had e expanded from two uh, friends having a, an, a company together and now they were 30 people uh, people that went uh, all around the country uh, not all around the Swedish country but the countryside let's say I don't know how many miles from from, from but but uh, they were not 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 at the office during the weeks But every Friday, I think it was Friday or mon Monday morning it was, maybe, I never mind. Every Monday morning, uh, they met at the office for having a breakfast together. Okay, so this was the setup. Uh, and I came to this uh, organization and uh, we were talking about strategies and stuff like that. And they were like, oh, we don't have any strategy. We don't, we don't plan for the future. We don't have any strategies. We, don't, we just go by the flow, they said. And I realized that, no, they don't. They have a strategy. But they are not aware of it. This Monday morning was probably the reason to why this little business was thriving. I really loved it. I, I, I mean, this was a success factor or something that made them thrive without knowing it, which we could actually put on the table and say, whatever you do, never cut that thing out, because that is probably the reason behind all of your success. What did they see in this Monday morning? They just uh, believed that this was the right thing to do. They believed... Okay, so at some point they believed in, in why they did it. But they didn't see it was a strategy or something that could have an impact on the long term. I mean, this was more like a stomach feeling. So they went for the most natural thing that they could ever do. And that was to gather everyone in every Monday morning to have a breakfast together before the week was... Yeah, starting. Hmm. 
think the stomach feeling is a good description of the subconscious mind. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably. So probably they knew what felt right, but yeah. they couldn't articulate it or didn't have the understanding mm. or a consultant that pointed out like, oh, oh. this is your strategy. Mm. So uh, so what, what we really have here is when we talk about principles as guiding principles, we have an, a, a really potent really potent um, alternative to setting goals which is super interesting when you start thinking of it because goal setting is more or less what we've been brought up with where, uh, and, and the way we approach life and the way we set up organizations and, and, and uh, objectives and stuff like that and it's again mostly based on things we have done in the past so now we want to make more of it we want to sell more of the same product we want to sell a better version of the product you know and then it again leaves out opportunities yeah. that that could make you more fluid that could you know this is where mm. the agile principle comes in how could yeah. you explore alternative test yeah, alternative yeah yeah and, and again if we take the limited and unlimited uh, person the one line or the onion <laughs> we have this one liner uh, person then setting goals in in a very liner way hmm. i want to reach this far okay so what happens with with a with a goal then if we set one yeah, maybe we should elaborate a little bit that before we go into principles again and see what they give us but if you set a goal i, I can i can have another example here uh grades Sorry. Grades in school. Grades, yeah. Mm? They are more or less goals, right? Or how I, do you look I at it? I was not a good student, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, probably for me it was not a goal. No, okay, okay. Hmm. But I think but a I lot mean, of people look at it as some kind of a goal. Something you strive for the mm -hmm. best, highest grade. Yeah. And when I went to school, there were like only a certain amount of high grades. And, and then when they were out of order you couldn't have well not out of out of stock and not out of order when they were out of stock you couldn't have another uh, high grade so then you had to have a lower grade that was odd but never mind uh, it was called um, relative uh, grades i mean this is a concept that sorry but the only word that comes to me is stupid yeah because i like but when, this is when the... you say like everybody in in the class wrote like a, i don't know had a good math exam mm -hmm. and everybody has a a or b or you know whatever system you're using mm. one or two uh and then you say like well that can't be everybody can't be that good we have to downgrade the whole class basically mm. because mm. really yeah that's odd uh, then they came into the that was uh, the relative uh, grace and then they in sweden they shifted i don't know maybe 15 years ago or something 20 to absolute uh, so it was connected to a goal so if you reach the goal, this was, again, the far, how far you should go. If you reached it, you got a certain grade. And if you reach another goal, you got another grade. So it was more or less goal setting at, at, at that point. Hmm? And it seems like it's something that is, I mean, empowering us maybe. Maybe not empowering, but motivating. Motiv maybe. Motivating. Okay, motivating. Okay. So now is the interesting thing here. A couple of years ago, ago uh, now it's six years ago. It was just before my my son was uh, starting in school. Seven years ago, it was yeah, seven years ago. 
um, I came into contact with the school that is now uh, both him and his younger sister are are, uh, are um, going to and at that school it was a Montessori school for you who don't know about Montessori it's a, a way of looking at life that a woman called Maria Montessori introduced 125 years ago or something like that that means that that uh, people are competent to learn no matter how old they are or young they are so that is one of the principles <laughs> and they also have other ideas that is more or less uh, uh, I mean to learn about stuff means that you don't fight so if you have like a, 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 a view of, of uh, different religions or different people from different world parts of the world uh, if you have a, something you can relate to you're not that interested in so it's a peacemaking idea also behind them. Stuff like that. Never mind. In, in the Montessori uh, set, uh, system, um, you, um, you set, if you set goals, you set your own goals. So it's not like goals that are applied to everyone. Like in, in the previous version, you have to reach a certain level. and then, So what you do is you plan your own weeks and you plan your own learning. So every pupil, uh, every student or every, uh, every kid makes their own planning. Okay, so we don't have like those um, big, um, what do you call it? So you don't compare the students to other students? You, you, can't, you can't more or less don't do that because you don't have the same uh, yeah. schedule. But there is still a, some, at some point, this is the area of, of a curriculum you should be. So there is still a connection to curriculum, but the order of it could be different. It could be... Uh, faster, slower, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, whatever. You, you could like mix it uh, anyway, anyhow, uh, any in any way. Mm -hmm. So that's that was the, uh, the that is one of the ideas in, in Montessori. And then at some point it, in 2011, the, the Swedish government um, came out with a new school plan. And in that it was almost imposed that you should have grades before before that they didn't have any grades and this was a school that had 10 10 um, what do you call that um, mm. yeah from from the seven from seven years to uh, or six years to 16 years so um, isn't it a cohort every year i don't know what the word is but never mind uh, you were at this school up until you were 16 and then you could go to a gymnasium or whatever okay so before that point, this school didn't use grades at all. But then came this new school plan or school system introduced by the government. And at the school they were, and also within the Montessori environment in, in Sweden, the discussions were, okay, do we, do we have to have the grades? Or what will happen if we have grades? And, and at this school, they were quite pragmatic and saying, okay, what happens if we introduce grades and what what could happen if we if we do it or if we don't and, and they found out okay maybe we, we should try it because it's actually imposed on us that we should do it so let's say that it's possible to have it and also have this uh, yeah, planning that is very individual and so on so they did that and then yeah, all the experiences they had tell them told them that okay it's possible to have grades and still have this individual planning so so far so good and at some point I met with a principal there a couple of years ago, uh, I think two or three years ago, we had a project together 
uh, and, sh and she and I, we were talking and I, I had this, um, I just asked her, what, what do you think about this, about grades? So, well, it actually worked better than, than we thought. We, this was actually compatible, uh, comparable, uh, or what do you call it? Com compet no way to say it. Well, are you looking for compatible? So not comparable. Com not comparable. Com when when you can put compatible. it together. Com thanks. Comfortable. <laughs> comfortable uh, with um, the system we have. It 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 it, it fitted. But then I saw at her face that there was something. But was everything good? There is one thing that actually bothered me. Do you know what that is? She said no. Before we had this grades every year there was at least a couple of, of students or, or kids that that were so far in in there in some specific subjects that they went to the gymnasium and even to the university we have all we have all also have had kids going to the university even if they were just 16 having a specific course in a subject and so on every year there was someone in some subject every year during the first 20 years of the school's history. But from that point, we haven't had anyone. There were none. So people, the students, pupils actually did less than they could be doing. Yeah, but they reached the goals. Yeah, exactly. But they limited themselves. The goals limited them because when you have reached a goal, why should you go further than the goal? And that's what I mean meant before with mm. the like, you do everything at work that is expected of you and still it's not really satisfying. Mm. I can tell you a story, actually, mm. an example from my experience, from the other perspective. In the last week, I had uh, contact with a company and they set up a, a very ambitious goal to sell a product uh, and, uh, yeah, to have a certain number, you know, in the first month. And uh, let's say they just wanted to sell 100,000 of, of their product in the first month. Okay, you can do that, of course. Um, so three weeks into the process, they not are not even close to that number. They're so close that they're super disappointed about everything they have done so far. And based on that frustration, they look for someone to blame. Maybe themselves, maybe the people they went work with, maybe the advisors whatever the process the the economy and what i'm trying to to say here is that they set such an ambitious goal that they could only be disappointed mm -hmm. uh, and that is you know you basically set yourself up for for frustration and disappointment if you're if you're aiming to hide mm. and i think all this discussion brings us to if you would use instead principles yeah. they could see that they yeah. moved from one point mm. you know expanded to a different point and there was a movement and maybe they should be grateful for their movement they have learned something out of this mm. they, they have sold some of their product and, yeah, maybe. and that it, that is more grateful mm. than than yeah definitely there are so many things with goals that you maybe you don't think of in the, at the first in the first room when you look <laughs> at goals it looks terrific and at some point someone says goals have to be smart if you have smart goals they will Solve everything. Then, then we have the dump goals as well. Yeah, <laughs> dump goals. Well. You know, when when smart goals came into the picture, for you who don't familiar with this language, it's 
uh, it, it was supposed to be uh, measurable. Uh, I guess it was uh, first specific, specific measurable, measurable, attainable. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, acceptable it was. Acceptable, acceptable. Uh, smart on our realistic and time bound mm, or something like that. Okay. And it could also be uh, with with some extra A, I guess. But, but again. And the, and the dumb was basically the opposite of this. It was, <laughs> I mean, dumb is also an abbreviation here. Yeah. So it stands for, uh, it should be based on a dream. It should be so so unrealistic that it kind of, you know, motivates you to do something. But mm -hmm. at the same time, how can I say, almost intimidates you um, to, yeah. But I mean, it should be, you should have an experience related to this. I think that's mm. when, when mm. you have hard goals. We have now mm. just before the show seen a description mm. on. Mm. So there are different ways of, of looking at goals. Different ways of looking at goals. Uh, most of them are, uh, or at least the predominant uh, way of looking at goals is that it has to be something you can measure. For instance, if we take the grades, if you don't, if you can't measure it, you can't put a grade connected to it. Like... It's not like the stomach feeling. It's it's more like a, a measurable, and you have to have some. If you do a math test, you have to have uh, this amount of uh, of um, right answers to have this grade, and so on. So very often, it's the measuring that is more or less the the factor that depends connected to the goal. Mm, okay, so. We have talked about what happens if, if there is a goal that is set. You, if you reach it, you're, you don't want to go further. And, and if it's too far, you get frustrated. Am I even in the right direction here? I don't know. Will I ever reach this goal? Why did I set this goal? And it really upsets me <laughs> by setting. I mean, there are so many ways to look at it. But at the same time, when we focus on a goal, what happens with everything else? It blurs. So by setting goals, we blur the rest. Everything that could have been important will not be important. And, and uh, again, a couple of programs or episodes before we talked about of uh, how do you, if you only, if your only ways of, of uh, describing the world is by results, how do you get the result? By looking at it, screaming at it, what, whatever can you do? We took the example of an, um, of an apple, a fruit from a tree. <laughs> If the only thing you can see are fruits, the results. If the only thing you can see on the tree are the fruits, how do you treat the fruits? By I mean, how do you get them growing? By looking at them, screaming at them, whatever. So there is some kind of a blurring effect coming with the focus. And what if we really actually destroy other things by focusing hmm. they did they, they described the possibility being to being grateful for the development they made they maybe limited themselves to to other options that would have been available probably i would say probably hmm. maybe even even more than probably maybe it was actually what happened and i think that that is actually what you said before it's like you reduce then the, the complexity of, of all the opportunities that are available to you and narrow it so down that, mm. yeah, maybe there's value in focus at mm. some point, but it also leaves out so much mm. else. Mm. And then, then we come to the next part. If, if again, they let's say that they set this goal far away. How do you know that you're on the right track if you don't have any progress then? 
they got frustrated. But what happens if you give up? And what happens if, for instance, and, if, and if how, when do you know how to when to give up? You probably you connect that to time. So say if I I'm supposed to reach this goal after one year, for instance, of some reason I I, I break my leg say and I, I have to start walking over again. I don't know why, but let's say that's the case. Um, so my goal will be then in a year I will be running ten kilometers say less in less than one hour. That's that's the goal I set. Okay. So, at what point can I take my first step? Is that liner to this uh, uh, to this uh, goal? Probably not. And if it's not liner, how will I then know how far I come? So if I find myself by walking my first steps of a half a year and by starting to run after ten or eleven months even. Am I still on, on, on the right track? Will I still be able to run 10 kilometers after 12 months? It's not a linear expansion or, or development here. So who knows? Hmm. I think it's very easy that you give up. And, and for instance, now we have as a world uh, decide upon the, the sustainable development goals. And what if we work with one goal and at the same time we destroy the other ones? And what happens if it's so seems so unreachable that we can't even relate to it? Uh, what if we here in Sweden work with this, but but at the same time China does something or whatever it is, and you don't see how you contribute? So we have we have really something here with with the goal setting that is in itself problematic. So the idea we introduce now is to instead of reducing the system, working with goals, setting goals. Uh, measuring uh, how far you come to the goals. What if we use instead principles to guide us in the day-to-day -day work, in the long-term perspective, and in a sustainable way of working? Yeah, and as we said, like we can look at different functions uh, and and also different tools that we use. We can basically take everything that we use on a daily basis and interact with and look at it and, and ask ourselves, are the principles applied here? And, and how do I use a tool? And, and, and what makes the tool do me? Is this again in line with the principles that I've chosen? Mm. And can I align it? Sorry? Can I align the tool itself? Yeah. That's a question of, of interest also. Mm. Yeah, and then basically ask ourselves like what are the principles that we want to have and do we find the coherence and everything we say do and then and, and make use of to have the same principles in there because then the result is very likely to be as you said you will experience the result of the principles again so if you for example yeah uh, choose an empathic way or uh, let's say a participatory way of making decisions in your organization then the result of that will probably be participatory hmm. participation in decision making mm, yeah that's interesting uh, there is a Swedish company that have used a, a way of setting their salaries which is participatory uh, you sit together in a room and everyone uh, poses the idea on what they're supposed to get in, in their salary 
and everyone can can have i don't know if it's a right uh, way to do it but it's an interesting way and and, and uh, of course there are probably things that can happen in such a context that doesn't happen if the boss sets all the uh, salaries but again you also get the transparency other things that happen as if we... other things that will happen and probably also um transparency coming into the room and and uh, um i mean um I, I can take another example here which is very interesting in, in this mm. context and and that is a couple of years ago we had a leadership program called insightful leadership and and uh, we were at this specific moment there was a, a person working as a, a head of a bank and uh, her colleague was at another bank also uh, at the position of uh, uh, of head of the bank and at some point the the general um, management post that every um, manager in the organization were supposed to meet with every employer 20 minutes each week and they were like wow uh, how shall we now be able to do our uh, our work and then the the management said i don't know if this was the right way to do it but it was very interesting then they said okay this is your tasks this is the most important thing you should do as a manager so they reorganized so that that the manager could meet with every employee 20 minutes every week it was like a more or less scheduled for instance jens you come mondays between 10 and 10 20 or whatever and one of them had 40 employees so it was like a lot of hours going on onto this but then they have applied this setup for when we met them uh, for a year or something and they said this is the most greatest thing that have ever happened in this organization because when we do like this we get rid of all the other things that that interrupts work you know somebody knocking on the door wants to get a hold of you because every employee knew that every week i have 20 minutes with my boss so that was one effect another effect was when they came up to this uh, the the um, uh, specific time during the year when you were supposed to have the salary set that was not a question and not when we have the development uh, in sweden we have very often some kind of a um, one hour, one hour uh, or whatever it is uh, a year where you you do the development of, together with your boss of, of how should I what have done this year and what shall I do next year and so on they still had that specific point but everyone was already set what was happening and also the the managers I met they said that what it had also brought into the room for their case was that they knew about their employees a lot of things that maybe wasn't an excuse of the behavior but it was, was an explanation so they already could act proactive on an issue because it never had to be reactive so if someone was um, overwhelmed by work or uh, having trouble at home or uh, whatever issue it ever was you knew about it immediately hmm. so you already mentioned proactivity i was wondering what other principles would be underlying this uh, method of working? Both proactivity and empathy, I guess, are, are the main uh, main uh, principles actually in, in such a setup. Mm. So that um, process or whatever we call it, or reorganizing the work, was 
more or less giving this organization tools and, and concepts that they didn't possess before. And it also took away a lot of burden that was more or less the effect of a previous way of working. So it freed a lot of potential and a lot of frustration went away. Um, maybe it doesn't, didn't solve everything, but it solved a lot of things that you couldn't see otherwise. You couldn't get hold of them, you couldn't reach them. Uh, even if you tried to measure them, it would probably be so far below in, in the digits that you couldn't like find it. Hmm. So that's interesting. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think what we have seen and, and, and provided a lot of examples for is that using principles as a way of navigating and making decisions is possible mm. and it works. And it's also creating. And it's also creating. And um, I want to round this program off by also mentioning um, an organization that has been actually been created based on these uh, dimensions. Um, based on the intentional decision model, and that's an organization we are both part of, which is called Gage. And if you are curious on how an organization could be set up according to these principles and also want to see how congruent it is through all things we believe in, the fundamental assumptions we have, our purpose, um, the way we work, and the things that we do, then I can um, yeah, only invite you to look at a document that is called the Improgage Being. Um, and you will probably find that, help me here, on our website very mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. um, There's also a short link, I guess, bit.ly slash Improgage Being. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a PDF, you can download it. And, uh, and there is a, one way of, of describing how you can use guiding principles yeah. another example of mm. how principles guiding principles can help you establish really an organization mm. and uh, the guiding principles in this case are, are then empathy proactive engagement and then we also take it down into the organizing principles in in different contexts how does this apply for the i context how does it apply in my in my own life or in my own yeah, doings and, and thinkings and, and whatever it is and also applied on the customer context or whatever it is context so i think we have at least four or five contexts for instance the context of learning How, what what will this mean for us uh, concerning learning mm -hmm. so it's a very interesting document to say so thanks for for sharing the that i almost forgot to, to mention so what's good that you did and we're rounding off and uh, it's been an interesting hour, hour and a half or something about principles. And if you're interested to knowing more about principles, this is uh, what you just mentioned, one way of, of doing it. But there are a lot of organizations today that look into how you can both navigate and create in, in, in a complex world without reducing the systems. And uh, in our previous program, we, we spoke about the Kinefin uh, framework yeah. uh, presented by Dave Snowden uh, that is uh, one way of, of describing uh, complexity and there are also um, uh, organizations that have been using the framework of, uh, of reinventing organizations and, and, uh, and spiral dynamics and um, 
So there are organizations out around the globe right now that have used those ideas and, and, and implement those ideas and then also designed upon them for many years now. So if you want examples, there are plenty of them. Um, a lot of learning examples to, to dig through and um, please contact if, uh, if, you, if you want to know more. And you can also support us, uh, of course you can do that by sharing uh, the, the episodes and so on, both on YouTube and on, on, on uh, different podcast uh, platforms. Uh, but also support us please on, on Patreon. We have a Patreon account on uh, patreon.com slash bestfortheworld and we need your help to be able to do those podcasts. And if you find it valuable, uh, please uh, do so and contact us if you want to engage in any way. We invite you to co-create. That's one of the ideas we have that co-creation is, uh, is moving us uh, in the direction of uh, what is best for the world. So uh, anything else, Jens? No, I think that's uh, it for now. Mm. I, I have a lot of ideas for the next episode, but uh, that is just to make their listeners more curious and yeah. turn on next time. Thanks. <laughs> thank you very much, Jens, and thank you all of you who were with us today. And uh, please uh, enjoy uh, the next coming episodes, which will still be there to be revealed. Thank you. Thank you. Intentional, making decisions intentional.